Dual Citizen, The Training, Chapter 16. Between his visits with Justin, Tracy went to NC State for orientation with Granny, Jean, and Jean's mom. Vera didn't go. She was fine with her son's decision once they smelled the magnolias, because Vera knew he was guiding him. The college orientation was ordinary enough, to a point, with tours and long meetings that discussed enrollment. But on the last day the four went to the African Symposium, which was a meeting for black students and their families. The freshmen were divided by curriculum. The engineering school had about 150 incoming freshmen of color. The black faculty introduced themselves and discussed the black experience at NC State. Black fraternities were introduced, safe havens were discussed, and it wasn't uncommon for students to be called the N-word by students and faculty alike. The black faculty then listed names of professors who were known racists, described who to speak to if a new student was treated unfairly, and advised black students to be aware of their surroundings off-campus. Then they introduced a group of black upperclassmen. It was explained that each new student would be teamed up with a mentor. They would guide the new student through their first semester and help with tutoring. The new student was to check in with their mentor at least once a week. If their mentor didn't hear from them after a few days, they would reach out to find them which was too much for Granny. Why the hell should my boy go here? she yelled. And another mother shouted, Is it safe to send our kids here? Before uproar could start, the black faculty explained themselves. We know your concerns, the leader said. Believe us, we know. But as difficult as it is for us, for you or your child, it will be okay. It is a fact some of them don't want us here, yet we're here, and we're staying. Will our kids graduate? a mother asked. Yes, NC State is one of, if not the, top engineering schools in the U.S. That's why we're here. And yes, it can be done, because we are graduates ourselves. NC State is how we got here. After the meeting, Jean's mom confirmed this. There were a lot of systems in place, and her husband wouldn't support a bad school. But being a black student at NC State's engineering school wasn't the most difficult part of college for Tracy. It was figuring himself out. Within the first month of classes, Tracy and Jean broke up, and it was mutual. They remained friends, and soon Jean dated the man she eventually married. Tracy also met a peer whose close friendship he treasured the rest of his life. It happened as Tracy prepared for his first test with a study group at a classmate's dorm. The rooms were in suites with a central study area. Midway through the session, a stately man strode by. He was medium height with a barrel chest and carried himself in impeccable manner. He wore everything polo, his hat, coat, umbrella, briefcase, and shoes. Looking more like a dandy than a sophomore, he was very dark, 
had a broad face, and sported a jerry curl as flawless as the rest of him. His walk was serious about success, yet he stopped short when he spotted the caramel stranger in the white study group. He looked at Jim, a small, energetic white guy with dirty blonde hair, who obviously knew the gentleman. Hey, Jim, the gentleman said. I see you've got company. And his voice was quiet and confident, but with enough consonant emphasis to make you notice. By the time Jim looked up, he was gone. He came back with two apples, one he was eating, and he held up the other and looked at Tracy. Do you want an apple? the gentleman asked. Sure, Tracy answered. And the gentleman tossed to the apple, and Tracy caught it. Aren't you going to offer anybody else one? Jim groused. No, the gentleman said, and returned to his room. Who was that? Tracy asked, studying his apple. That's Todd, Jim said, and rolled his eyes. He's a sophomore who lives two doors down. Huh, was all Tracy could say. The study session ended and Tracy took his test, but Todd made an impression. Tracy thought Todd was empowering and would be a great ally as an upperclassman. Besides, Tracy needed a good friend, and it wasn't long before they were properly introduced. As Tracy and Todd's friendship grew, so did Tracy's success. Todd introduced Tracy to the black preppy culture of upperclassmen in the engineering school, and within months, Todd gave Tracy a swatch watch. Academically, Todd was an excellent role model, and Tracy observed his study habits carefully. As often as Tracy wanted to break loose and throw his books out the window, Todd helped keep him focused. By the next year, Todd and Tracy had become such good friends they were roommates, and Jim lived down the hall. Todd and Tracy had their routine down, but one day Jim interrupted. The roomies were studying between classes midday, and Tracy was watching Thundercats. Todd allowed it because Tracy was going to have to sit through two hours of One Life to Live and All My Children. That's when Jim came in to talk. Hey, Tracy, Jim said. Hey, Jim, what's up? Tracy said, who munched tortilla chips. I just want to hang, Jim said. That's cool, Tracy said. Give me half an hour. Okay, Jim said. I'll just sit here and be quiet. And he sat down on the couch, which annoyed Todd. Jim, Todd said, can you go back to your room and wait? I'm not your company, Todd, Jim stated. I'm Tracy's, which made Todd get up. You should probably go, Tracy advised. When Jim didn't leave, Todd went to physically eradicate Jim from the room. As Todd advanced, Jim backed into the sofa and pushed his feet out in self-defense. Don't touch me, Jim screamed. In a snap, Todd grabbed both of Jim's ankles in mid-kick, and lifted Jim to suspend him by his ankles. Because of the size difference, Jim wasn't able to reach Todd, and Jim's arms and head easily cleared the floor. 
Put me down, Jim yelled. Not yet, Todd said, and carried Jim out of the room. Then Todd went down the hall with Jim dangling by his feet. He went into Jim's room, where he instructed Jim's roommate. Keep your trash in your own room, Todd said, dropped Jim on his head, and left. In the meantime, Justin and Tracy managed to keep seeing each other through their first year of college. They met secretly during breaks and scattered weekends, but it was no way to live. After Jean, other girls approached Tracy. He wanted to change and be normal, but Tracy knew that wasn't his path. Tracy also didn't want to mess up anyone else's life or involve anyone in a falsehood, so Tracy kept dating Justin. Then, before he knew it, Tracy went home for the summer and resumed his paid internship at IBM. There he met Pete, who inadvertently made Tracy fully deal with his sexuality. Hello everyone, Tracy here. I hope you're enjoying my story. We'll let you know how to support this podcast later. But for now, the best thing you can do is follow us and share it with your friends and family. So if you like what you're hearing, please help us out by telling people about it. And thanks again. Pete was a computer science engineer who went to school in Cincinnati. He was from Charleston, but because of the Canal River and economic boundaries, he and Tracy had never met. But Pete was confirmation for Tracy. He was the first peer Tracy met from West Virginia who had a promising future, a serious manner, was white and gay. Pete was a year older than Tracy, had a handsome face, black feathered hair, and a rugged body. He also had an abnormally low voice Tracy thought was sexy. Pete's father was president of the Chamber of Commerce and Wealth for the state of West Virginia, and lived in a grand house atop a steep hill overlooking the city. The house had wide double front doors made of thick mahogany. Pete rang the bell and opened both doors to reveal a cobblestone floor across a broad foyer. At the end was a swooping staircase with mahogany steps and matching railing. But everything else, the walls, trims, and balustrades were shellacked white. The kitchen and dinette were hidden to the left, but the entrance to the living room was open. The long room of sofa sets went the length of the house and was guarded by a full suit of armor holding a lance. His name is Lance, Pete told Tracy, for obvious reasons. At the end of the immense foyer was the formal dining room. Its entrance was tucked under the staircase landing. From it, a woman looking all the world like Auntie Mame appeared. She wore an elegant gown and had a short hairstyle she changed frequently. Her cocktail glass clinked delightfully as she flowed down the length of the foyer, which unmistakably held a vodka tonic. Come in, come in, 
Betty sang, enthusiastically drunk. Mom, this is Tracy, Pete said. I know, I know, she confirmed. My name is Betty, and I feel I know you already. And she hugged Tracy before twirling off into the living room, probably meaning to go to the kitchen. This is normal, Pete assured. We do this all the time. You want a beer? Tracy had never been offered a beer upon meeting someone's mother. However, he was about to get drunk with all of them. You need help with dinner? Pete asked loudly. No, honey, Betty yelled through the house, and she had almost found the kitchen. I've got everything under control. Where's Dad? Pete hollered. He's at a meeting, Betty said. Or uh, upstairs or doing something. But Betty didn't have anything under control. Her roast was in the oven hours later. By that time, Tracy had met Pete's father, John. Appropriately enough, he was an amiable bear of a man that looked all the world like Beauregard Burnside, and his personality filled his enormous house. Betty and John loved Pete and his gay self, which astounded Tracy. Just like Justin's parents, Betty and John loved Tracy at first sight, too, and he was instantly part of the family. In fact, later that July, Pete invited Tracy to watch the fireworks because he had an excellent view from the manse's roof atop the hill. Pete said it would just be the two of them, so Tracy went in shorts and carried a six-pack of beer for Pete. When he arrived, Tracy found out that Betty and John were hosting their annual Fourth of July bash. There was a string quartet at the formal garden party, along with the mayor and fifty members of the Chamber of Commerce and Wealth. "'Shouldn't we go in through the side door?' Tracy asked. "'Nah,' Pete said. "'Let's take a look at this before we go to the roof.' However, Betty instantly spotted Tracy and grabbed him, and took off into the fray with Pete in tow. When she reached the back colonnade, she spun them around to face her elegant guests. "'Ladies and gentlemen!' she bellowed, and the strings halted, and the company stopped. They turned to Betty in her pink sequined gown, which matched her Rose Kennedy, a vodka soda with a whisper of cranberry. Then she proudly raised her glass to Pete and Tracy, who both looked all the world like Mame's young ward, standing in their shorts and T-shirts, except they were the interracial version. "'This is my adopted son, Tracy!' Betty exclaimed with bravado, "'who is Pete's very close friend!' Which, appropriately enough, was followed by applause. Now, as they waited for dinner, Tracy, Pete, and his parents played Scrabble on the dining-room table. Betty may have been an absent-minded cook, but she was slaughtering them at Scrabble. John went on about their vacations and how much he loved the months they spent in Canada or their month in Hawaii or Africa. Who spends a month on vacation anywhere? Tracy thought. Let alone 
on that many continents? Then, somehow, the conversation turned to how Pete came out. Oh, you were a mess, dear, Betty said. But then so was I at first. It's true, Pete admitted. It was finals week, and I was under intense pressure. I was on the brink of suicide. And there was a sobering silence. I had to do something to relieve the anxiety. So I called home, and I told Mom I was gay. Then no one said anything. Betty moved a few scrabble pieces around, and John traded in a few pieces for his turn. So what happened? Tracy asked. Oh, <laughs> Betty realized. Finally, I said, well, I don't understand why you have to decide anything right now. Why don't you finish college and then decide? Which made Pete and his parents laugh like they did that night. That was the statement that broke the ice so everything was out in the open and they could deal with the issue. Then my mother turned gay, Pete said. Tracy was caught unawares. What? Yes, sirree, Betty trilled. I sure did. I joined P-Flag. I went to all the meetings, read the books, and I bought the T-shirts, all of them. Tracy didn't know such an organization existed. As Betty explained about the gay parent group, Tracy marveled and was shocked to meet a second family so at ease with their son's sexuality. Justin's parents were liberally progressive just by being a mixed-race family. But Betty and John were white civic leaders of the capital of West by God, Virginia, who just happened to have a gay son. Then Betty turned to Tracy to ask, Have you told your mom? No. Tracy said sheepishly. Well, Betty said, you should. It'd do everybody good. And if it doesn't work out well, you can just move in here because you are family. I should probably start with Granny and Moody. Tracy decided, and the next evening he did. The three had finished dinner, but no one was talking, not even Granny. Tracy, Moody said, seems like there's something on your mind. What's going on? You seem kind of heavy. Tracy and Moody sat at the Formica kitchen table in the Meridian Blue kitchen and watched the tiny TV. Granny was at Command Central in her recliner, hoping the phone would ring. She watched TV past Moody's head and pretended not to be listening. I have something to tell you, Tracy said. Uh-oh, Moody replied. Sounds like this is one of those conversations. Moody backed his wheelchair up and got his moonshine from under the sink. Tracy got the glasses and the ceremony started, but this was the first time Tracy had called it. Moody poured the shot. They did the first one, medicinal, before Moody poured the second. And uh, we'll just sip this one, Moody confirmed. Granny started smoking heavily, which made Tracy more nervous. But after some introductory small talk, he came out with it. I'm gay, Tracy stated. 
We ain't raised you like that, Granny exploded. Aw, shit, Jackie, Moody gruffed. If you can't handle the conversation, get the hell out of the room. Technically, she wasn't in the room, but Granny stormed off to the side bedroom, mumbling, stomping, and puffing. Then she kept an ear close to the wall. Is she going to be all right? Tracy asked. Yep, Moody said. This ain't new. We saw this conversation coming. And Tracy was shocked. We were waiting for you. You're not surprised? Tracy asked. No, Moody said and sipped. You're not disgusted? Tracy asked. No, Moody said. This ain't my first time round the barnyard. I saw plenty of things during the war. Met all kinds of people. Something like that. And with all those differences, in the end, we were all decent men, mostly, and we got the job done. So, it's okay? Tracy asked. We just wanted to know that you were comfortable, Moody said. We want you to be happy, and we don't want you to be alone. I believe I'm okay, Papa. Tracy said. I can't explain it, but... I don't feel I'm making a wrong move. Then Moody shifted gears. As he did, Tracy thought of Great Papa Moody and the fact that Moody was also a preacher's kid. Uh, what does your imaginary friend say about this? Moody asked. Tracy knew, but listened. His eyes darted back and forth, and Moody waited. Then Moody saw his boy hear him, and Tracy looked back at Moody. He said, His grace is sufficient for me. Tracy repeated, and Tracy listened again and looked forward. He said he would reveal his grace on the subject later. Tracy reported, And that was all I need to know about it. Tracy paused. And that I should be at peace. And Tracy looked forward again, and then back to his grandfather. That's all he said, Pawpaw. Moody smiled and sat back, because he knew Tracy had his guidance. Then Moody thought of Granny and poured two more. We might want to gulp these, Moody said. And they did another shot. Your grandmother and I talked about this earlier. As long as you're comfortable with it, and you know where you're headed, it's all right with me. Tracy felt a relief he hadn't known since he sat on his lap looking at the picture book, because it was going to be all right. Then Moody got serious again, adjusted himself in his chair, and leaned toward Tracy. I just have two requests, Moody said. Tracy leaned in, too, because clearly a deal was about to go down. Now, there's no different than with all Jenny's girls, Moody said. Number one is, we want to meet all your friends and everyone you date. The smoke had stopped billowing from the bedroom, and Granny was unusually quiet. Moody looked around and came in closer. Number two, Moody stated. We raised you to be a man, and we expect you to find one, since a woman isn't your prerogative. 
and Moody stopped. They both thought they heard Granny's slippers trying to glide through the living room undetected. Moody hunkered down further. Which means this. Please don't bring home any queenie guys. And with that terminology, Moody let out a low chuckle. Oh, shit, Granny muttered from around the corner. Jackie, Moody yelled, shut the hell up. This conversation's over. With the backing of Moody, Tracy was set free to put himself first and was released to be who he was born to be. Tracy still knew he needed to find out who he was with integrity, but he didn't need to date another girl or worry about seeming normal or care about who knew, except for one. Now, you better tell your mama, Moody said, because this secret's strong. It could carry your granny away if it's not out by sundown tomorrow. No worries, Tracy said, and for the first time in a long time, he had none. The next day, Tracy called Vera during her lunch break and told her. Mom, Tracy said, why are you crying? I just don't want you to be alone, Vera sobbed. All the gay people I know are lonely. I, I don't want you to end up that way, alone and unhappy. Tracy didn't know what to say, and Vera tried to compose herself. Are you seeing anybody? Vera asked. Yeah. And he realized he had never been asked that before. Who? Vera said, clearing up. Justin. And it was a warm feeling for Tracy to tell his mother that. Vera laughed a little. <laughs> Justin is gay? Of course he's gay, Mom. Tracy said, although Justin could be very professional, polite, and the perfect diplomat. Well, that's a relief, Vera said, and Tracy felt the weight lift from both their shoulders. <laughs> In fact, it's wonderful. Vera decided, and his mom sounded joyful because her boy wasn't alone. Can he come down for Christmas? Vera asked, and Tracy thought he heard her smile. I'll ask, Tracy said, and they both wiped their tears. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you would like to purchase the book, Dual Citizen, it is available on Amazon. All three books, The Connection, The Training, and The Arrival, are available in print as well as on Kindle. Dual Citizen, The Connection, is also available on Audible. So, if you would like to skip ahead and see how everything turns out, feel free. But don't tell your friends the ending. Thanks again, and we hope everyone will find their place at the table.